0: Greetings and salutations, you're listening to This Ends at Prom, a
1: podcast where I, teen movie apologist
0: BJ Colangelo, show my wife...
1: Harmony Colangelo, a seminal teen girl movie that I missed out on because I grew up as a teen boy.
0: Is today's movie truly emblematic of womanhood?
1: Or of rose-colored nostalgia glasses or your perspective?
0: Circle yes, no, or maybe to find out if we're crowning a queen?
1: Or if we're killing the teen dream. Welcome to... This Ends at Prom.
0: This Ends at Prom is a Pod People production.
2: I don't wanna be your merch girl. I wanna be your goddamn idol. And I don't wanna have to work twice as hard for the same motherfucking title. But I
1: welcome back prom party i'm here
0: you are here welcome (laughs) to being here
1: i just got home from work i am barely here
0: (laughs) (laughs) i also just got done with work i basically took my laptop and moved it to a different part of the room so that we could have a better recording setup
1: oh well that's a thing (laughs) it is a thing
0: this is what we do for all of you listeners we do it with love i moved from one end of the living room to another for you.
1: You went from a couch with good lumbar support to a wooden chair with better lumbar support.
0: Yeah, but it hurts my butt because I got a big butt.
1: Yeah, it's true. They're, they're very firm. That's why I have a butt cushion. That's very
0: true because you
1: are a lot bonier than I am. Yeah, I don't have ass like you.
0: <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> so today we are talking about another movie that feels a little bit wintry. is a little bit festive now that we're in December.
1: It's Christmassy.
0: It's Christmassy. And it's one that, I I know that when people read it, they're probably going to be like, uh, this is a teen girl movie podcast, and the name of the main character is a boy name. What's that about? But I know that's stuff that we will dive into. But we are not alone today, friends. It's your favorite type of episode. We have a guest. So joining us is one of my wonderful Destroy All Boundary sisters, the amazing director A.K. Espada. Hi, a.k. Hi. (laughs) Welcome to being on This Ends at Prom.
3: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, thanks for wanting to come on here. So, as is tradition with all of our guests, you picked the movie that we're talking about today. So, I am curious as to why Edward Scissorhands?
3: Well, um, so when you described what This Ends at Prom is, I don't know why, but the first thing that popped in my head was Edward Scissorhands and Maybe it's a bit of a stretch uh, for a teen girl movie, but I mean, like, really, who was this movie made for? That's a great <laughs> <I don't>... question. Who? <laughs> I I, I, that's what I was thinking about the entire time I was watching it. This time, like, who, I mean, I've the, always the target audience.
1: Yeah, I've always known more girls who like this movie than boys do.
3: Absolutely. I mean, because young Johnny Depp, probably. Which also, I saw a perfume commercial or a cologne commercial earlier with him in it, and he's. The mighty have fallen. He's so weird now, but, and, and not in a cool Scissor hands way.
1: It, it's but, the one where he's playing guitar with wolves in the desert, yes! right? <laughs> <laughs> it,
3: was, it was so awful. But I I think the reason that I thought it would fit is because it's just about someone who yearns to be understood and he has weird hair, and he doesn't fit in, and who can understand that more than teen girls? So,
1: Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And I like that, Harmony, you brought up the point that there are definitely more girls that like this movie than boys. I feel like Edward Scissorhands falls under that same umbrella of movies like Varsity Blues, where this the the story is centered around a boy but boys were not watching this movie like this was definitely a movie that girls were super into and I don't know maybe it has to do with the styling there's a lot of pastel in this movie that might have rubbed people the wrong way
1: (laughs) yeah I mean if we weren't doing this episode then the other one we were going to do is also a boy-ish movie it was going to be I'll be home for Christmas with Jonathan Taylor Thomas because that is not for boys
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Jonathan Taylor Thomas was for
1: girls. Oh, absolutely. Uh,
3: yeah. It's, <laughs> it's like similar to like, like the Jonas Brothers.
0: Like if the girls' gays and theys are into you, then like straight boys aren't watching this.
1: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so, AK, if you had to explain what Edward Scissorhands is about, uh, what is this movie about?
3: This movie is about a young boy robot, um not really exactly sure what he is, that was created by an inventor. And before he was finished with his hands, the inventor died and left him with these giant scissors for hands. And so now he can't get near people. He can't even touch his own face without cutting himself. And he's terrified of hurting other people. And he's never met other people, but the Avon lady comes calling and then brings her home to their suburban pastel community where everyone originally is obsessed with him because they're so bored with their own bullshit lives and eventually turns on him because they have to just reject and push out anything that is different. That
0: is probably the most beautiful way I've ever heard this movie described. Because typically people are like, I don't know, Johnny Depp
3: got scissor hands. What more do you need? (laughs) I mean, but that's also true.
1: It Just depends on how deep you want your description to be.
3: (laughs) I think somewhere in between those two would also work.
1: I really just that we're about to talk about this movie for like 80 minutes. I I think that we can be excessive.
0: (laughs) So Harmony, what was your introduction to Edward Scissorhands?
1: That's a great question because that I just don't have an answer to. Okay. Um, I, This is just one of those movies where I don't know about you. I can't remember the first time I saw this. It just feels like it's something that I have always have seen. Mm-hmm. Like I've always been aware of and watched and known Edward Scissorhands. I definitely remember it being pretty inescapable by the time I got to like junior high and high school because that's when... Uh, scene culture started to happen emo mm-hmm. kids started to happen and the uh the mall goth uprising kind of happened because of hot topic mm-hmm. so tim burton properties were basically osmosis like you would breathe tim burton in from like the secondhand smoke of him <laughs> in <laughs> high school
0: yeah i definitely agree with that i first saw edward Hands when i was about 11 or 12, this was in a DVD bundle gift pack that my aunt had gotten me. This okay. is the same Christmas that I also got The Princess Bride, which continued my love of my unhealthy love of Chris Sarandon, as well as Rock and Roll High School. Um, and Edward hands got thrown in there because as a little kid, I loved A Nightmare Before Christmas, like a lot, a lot. So I think my aunt was like, well, you're older. That one is definitely more for kids. This one's a little bit more mature and it's live action. So mm-hmm. Here's that. So I, I saw it pretty young, but like you, it really became a part of my consciousness once scene culture picked up because it kind of felt like pick your poison, you got either like the Tim Burton goths or like the really artsy Donnie Darko goths. Like that yeah. was that was the divide. How
1: how much of an art school high school kid are you with your cinema?
0: Yeah, that's that's the that's the real question here. <laughs> AK, how about you? Do you have any early memories of your exposure to Edward Scissorhands?
3: I don't remember why I saw it the first time. I just remember seeing the DVD cover. I think maybe we'd gone to Blockbuster, and I saw it and thought it was striking, so I got it. And I think I was around 14, and just immediately after reading the DVD cover, I knew this was going to be my holy grail I just knew it and I was right I've seen this movie so many times I I I know a lot of facts about this movie
0: well if you have some that you want to share we are all ears for any of them okay
3: okay I will I will do my best to pop them in as they come up beautiful (laughs) (laughs) so
0: Edward Scissorhands is coming out in 1990 which is a really weird time for movies especially movies Like this? Um, we're just getting out of the 80s, which is kind of the resurgence of horror movies. It's the slasher boom. So people are super, super into the the dark and creepy. Uh, but we're also coming out of like the satanic panic, so people are very scared of the dark and
1: creepies. It can't be too creepy. Right.
0: Um, and what is interesting about the the 90s horror scene is that we got really heavy into what I like to call transitional horror. So we're getting into things that are bridging the gap between children's movies and like children's entertainment into more adult fare Mm -hmm. and there wasn't a lot at the time available that was sort of transitionary a lot of it went to tv so that's when we started getting goosebumps and are you afraid of the dark which i i don't want to speak for everybody in here but i feel like all of us have some affinity for that
1: i mean are you afraid of the dark is one of my favorite children's shows yes yeah (laughs) <laughs> a- A.K., how about you? Did you watch any of these growing
3: up? Oh, yeah, for sure. Are You Afraid of the Dark? I um, I, I would love to say that I actually watched it and didn't just stare right below the TV as it was on, <laughs> trying to act like I was watching it, but yes. <laughs> so
0: a lot of the, the horror stuff is, is geared towards children, and most of it went to TV specifically because... One horror is and has always been cheap to make. It's mm-hmm. that's why it's such a profitable genre because your returns are often a lot higher because there's not a lot that has to go into it. Um but also a lot of studios were afraid of taking these risks of having child-friendly horror content because you're not guaranteed to get that like hard R audience that loves horror that was really profitable in the 80s with slashers. Mm-hmm. The only person who's kind of doing this is Tim Burton. Because we we have Beetlejuice, obviously, and that's super fun. And that's, I think, 88 or 87, 88. Something like that. Um, but then Tim Burton makes Batman, a, mm-hmm. mov- a movie that was not supposed to work and was a humongous success. Mm-hmm. And Warner Brothers was like, you can do whatever you want next. And I, I think... <laughs>
1: And then he did Batman yeah, he Returns. He chose
0: this. <laughs> well, he chose this before Batman
1: Returns. Oh, did he? Yeah,
0: they wanted yeah. him to do Batman Returns next or uh, Beetlejuice Goes Hawaiian, like something really ridiculous. And instead, he's like, how about this story? Yeah. <laughs> and they were like, well, if you just made us a bajillion dollars, do what you want. Mm-hmm. Um, and Edward Hands is a bit autobiographical for him. It's about him feeling... Kind of weird and outcasty, growing up in Burbank, and there are definitely pockets of Burbank that do weirdly kind of look like this. Like not to this extent of like perfect pastel. Or the pastels. Yeah, it's not quite <laughs> that exaggerated, but there are definitely neighborhoods where you're like, oh, I see why he felt so weird. I get this. Uh huh. Um, so he he made what is essentially a modern fable, and it's dark and creepy, but it's not scary. It's spooky. Mm-hmm. Um, so it works as, like, a transitionary horror film.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because, mm-hmm. like, sure, this is a, a horror film, I guess, in that it's spooky. But also, it's a Christmas film. It's suburban. It's mostly <laughs> set in the day. There's nothing inherently creepy about most of this, mm-hmm. despite it being, like, this black hole sun neighborhood. <laughs>
0: Speaking of 90s, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> so let's kind of dive in and talk about, you know, the people that we're dealing with here. Obviously, first and foremost, let's talk about
1: the titular Edward Scissorhands. Oh, hey, Ed. Ed. He goes, Ed's fine, right? Dad's going to keep calling him Ed the whole time. <laughs> Ed. <laughs> oh, Alan Arkin. <laughs>
0: yes. So, so, AK, how do you feel about Edward as a character?
3: Edward, I don't even know what to say about him because honestly, he he doesn't have a lot of <laughs> personality. Mm-hmm. As I will say, I watching it this time, the thing that struck me was like how quickly he he adjusts exceptionally fast for someone who doesn't even know what a mirror is when he gets there. Because he starts, like, picking everything up very quickly. Mm -hmm. So, uh, he's, uh, I I also don't even know what he is exactly. Is he mechanical? Is he flesh? Is the S&M bondage suit what's holding his (laughs) body together? Is it, like, his skin? Uh, So, yeah, I I would... (laughs) I don't even know where to go with this. I want one of you to talk
1: first. <laughs> yeah, I um, I actually brought that up with BJ when we we're watching it. Where it's like, okay, so Edward has got to be at least partially robot. We assume he's biomechanical because yeah. all of Vincent Price, like the inventor's stuff, is clearly mechanical. He has he has no stuff to create like a small boy out of, which means <laughs> I would assume that he is like a flesh suit on top of some sort of mechanical stuff wrapped in like a leather anime (laughs) bodysuit.
3: He does bleed.
1: Yes.
0: See, and this is where his, his sort of existence becomes weird and murky. And it's because the S and M bodysuit is very reminiscent of the, mechanical things that we see in the inventor's laboratory like the things that make cookies mm-hmm. and the things that are chopping everything that's where he gets the idea mm-hmm. so i think that the the M suit is his skin mm-hmm. i think that's his skin mm-hmm. and then i think his head is human like somehow there's a frankenstein mm-hmm. head thing going it's- on
1: here Well, isn't that something we see when Vincent Price is, like, reading stories and poetry to them? Isn't he just, like, a torso, basically? Yeah, He's got the
3: legs laying
1: across. Yeah, he doesn't have legs yet, so I'm guessing you just kind of, like, pop them together, but I think his head is the only part that looks human-ish.
3: He's like a Betty Spaghetti. Oh, yeah. (laughs) He really is. Everything kind of pops out, and you can
0: just kind of, like take him apart and put okay. him back together. But it, That would explain I didn't why know. he walks so rigidly. <laughs> he, yes. he does. He walks like he's got something way up his butt or like a little kid that's <laughs> filled their diaper and doesn't want anyone to know. He,
1: I, I want to assume partially jo- that's acting, but also it's probably that Johnny Depp can't move very well in that suit. But he kind of runs around <laughs> like a Depp. Lego person.
3: He said that he watched Charlie Chaplin movies for the walk because Charlie Chaplin also walks kind of like a penguin. Mm -hmm. That makes so much (laughs) sense. I don't know why he chose that, but I guess it works. And I love how he always holds his scissor hands far away from his body as he runs. Like, you know, that is something you got to think through when you have scissor hands. You can't be cutting your legs up while you're running.
0: I love that Edward Scissorhands does the like T Rex arms the same way that like Alexis on Schitt's Creek does, but for entirely <laughs> so different
1: reasons. Yeah, I also yeah. tend to have a lot of T Rex arms, but that's because I bartend, which means that my hands are usually like in a position where I can easily get things off the bar. So I have very like limp wrist T Rex arms all the time. Because you know, is she a little, you know, kinda? <laughs>
0: I have T-Rex arms just because my boobs is too big, and I can't put my arms down because I'm perpetually (laughs) Randy in a Christmas story. Um, (laughs) That's how I live my life. Good festive reference. Thank you. I try.
3: (laughs) Have you ever thought of having corrective surgery or prosthetics? I know a doctor that might be able to help you. I'd like to meet him. We'll get that name after the show. Thank you very much. That's very nice. Anyone else? Yes, stand right up. But if you had regular hands, you'd be like everyone else. Yes, I know. (laughs) I think he'd like that.
0: (laughs) But then no one would think you were special. You wouldn't be on TV or anything.
3: No matter what, Edward will always be special. I th- I think when it
0: comes to Edward it's a lot less about who he is as a character and more about what he represents. Like it's not very often that we have a character in a movie that basically is
1: their own symbol. Um mm. yeah, and he's he's very spongy, you know? He he's a mm-hmm. he absorbs things around him, but he's like a sponge with morals. <laughs> yes. Like he's inherently good, but he he just is, will adapt and soak up all of this information and maybe bad influences from some people and but he's he's still intrinsically good.
3: Yeah he was taught English, morals, and poetry by his inventor father and that's
1: Exactly. It. <laughs> Which are, are sound bases.
3: That's not that's not yeah, the word. I mean it's better than nothing. Yeah.
0: <laughs> I do love that his form of like poetry is also jokes like i think that's so cute it's like the there was a man from oh, nantucket yeah. rhymes like those are so cute to me and i just love the scene where he's trying to smile and you're like oh it's you know the the ai is becoming sentient and he is developing emotion but he doesn't know how to smile so it kind of looks like when arnold schwarzenegger tried to smile <laughs> um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think that that's very cute. Um, but things for Edward really kind of pick up when Diane Wiest shows up, which honestly, if Diane Wiest showed up at my doorstep, it would be a great day for me. Um,
3: I'd go with
0: her. Right, I would also go with her. So, uh, AK, how do you feel about Mrs. Boggs?
3: Oh, I love this woman. She First of all, she's not afraid of anything. She just marches into that cursed castle like, it's nothing, waltzes right up to the attic that's clearly collapsed in, approaches a hunched figure in the corner holding a bunch of knives, and she doesn't get scared until he starts to, like, approach her, and then she's like, oh, <laughs> whoops. But and then as soon as he approaches her and she sees that he's not trying to stab her, she's like, come home with me. And she just, throughout the whole movie, she's just the most idyllic, angel of a maternal figure to everyone and she's so incredibly patient with everyone and and she just shows so much kindness to edward and i think their relationship together is like one of the sweetest ones i've ever seen i agree i think that
0: they're so cute and like i pointed it out to harmony when she takes edward in the car i know it's been memed a hundred times but it feels so real (laughs) when it's like moms dropping their kids off at Warped Door, yes. <laughs> because that's yes. that's exactly what that is. Like she's that mother that truly does show unconditional love for those around her. Mm-hmm. And that's so not something that we see, especially not, I, I think, in in this sort of genre. A lot of the moms, anything in like fairy tales, fable world, Moms are usually evil or they're dead. Like Mm -hmm. we don't get a lot of nice moms and she's the nicest mom.
1: I almost wonder if her greatest strength is, is almost naivete, but in a good (laughs) way. Cause like, is she brave for going into this horrible, like hammer film castle? That is clearly a bad idea. Or is she just like, so unaware of the threat of danger because she grew up in such a safe little suburb that it doesn't yes. even cross her mind something bad could happen.
3: This movie is filled with white women who are not afraid to chase down like, an alleged violent psycho in his scary, decrepit mansion.
1: I I had this moment when we got to the end of the movie where um, right after he saves um, the the little brother from getting hit by a van with flames on it because that's one of the raddest things to almost get killed by. Um, (laughs) Right after he saves him and is accidentally, like, cutting up his face because he's panicking, I have this moment where I'm like, oh, wait a minute, this movie was filmed in Florida, right? You can't make Edward Scissorhands now because one of these, like, old white people is just going to run out with a gun. Right.
3: (laughs) Yeah, the guy, the old vet that, like, you know, originally is like, don't ever let anybody tell you you got a handicap. And then later, right before (laughs) Kevin runs out into the street, he's like, let us all know when they catch him, that cripple, Mm -hmm. will you? Like a good boy. That guy would have shot him. Oh, yeah.
2: Absolutely.
0: Anybody who's serving their neighborhood from their open garage while sitting in a lawn chair cannot be trusted. Ah. No,
1: not at all. He's at least half in the bag. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, okay, on the note of that old man in his comment, can we just talk about how Edward is a vessel for so many different groups of people? Because he's he's almost a blank slate, but you can make reads of him being like, a metaphor or an allegory for so many different people, whether it be, like, someone who's disabled as this, like, old man is like, oh, the cripple. Yeah. Or you could make an argument that, you know, he's on the spectrum. Or you could make a, a read that... He's like uh, like dad who's just like, oh, he could, where um, where mom just insists like, hey, dad, uh, he goes by Edward. He's like, ah, Ed, I'm going to keep calling him Ed. You have no value to me until you can cut my lawn like an immigrant. <laughs> like there's all of these different elements that come into d- d- who Edward is in like a really beautiful and fascinating way that you don't see very often.
3: Oh, yeah. that To Joyce, he's just like a young, hot guy that she can flirt mm-hmm. with. To the scary Christian lady, he's a demon that she can use to warn everyone else around that, you know, God is coming. He's
1: he's kind of just this blank slate of whatever you want him to be. And mm-hmm. for a title character in a movie that is also so endearing and lovable, I think that viewers kind of have that a bit too. Like we have mm-hmm. a general idea of what we want. Edward to be but it's also a lot of mystery and vagueness of like we think he's a robot he's clearly a robot and it's like well there's nothing that really indicates like what's going on there but we're filling in our own blanks
0: mm-hmm. I think Edward too there's also I see a lot of gender reads on Edward because it it gets into kind of the the perfect argument that a lot of like transphobes like to use of like oh gender's what's in your pants no one has ever checked what Edwards got going <laughs> I, down.
1: Why would Vincent Price give him a penis or right, a vagina? They're
0: just. <laughs> Assum- he didn't even Maybe give he him has hands. scissors down there. They're just assuming that Edward's a guy because he has a masculine featured face. Yeah, and masculine,
1: his- let's not get carried away. I know,
0: Johnny Depp's a very pretty man. <laughs> um, but then also, like, his name is Edward, and everyone's like, oh, I guess that makes you a man. And it's like, okay, well, if you're so quick to accept that Edward Scissor Hands is a man just because of that's how presentation is, then why is it so difficult for people to understand that gender's also presentation? That's an entirely different episode. Mm-hmm. But I see that read a lot, especially with a lot of like trans. Mask people uh, tend to to see Edward as one of their own, but uh, especially the autistic community picks up on Edward and like not being able to understand social cues and people finding you fascinating if you can serve a purpose for them and a monster once you cannot. Mm-hmm. And like these are all really interesting things. And do I think that Tim Burton was being this? Galaxy-brained about it. I don't. No. I, I think he was kind of doing like a an over-dramatized version of like his own feelings. Like the Edward Scissorhands hands and Tim Burton have the same hair. Like that's especially mm-hmm. in this time mm-hmm. period. Um, and so did I in high school. <laughs> so did I, but I did mine by choice because I was <laughs> a scene
3: kid.
1: <laughs> I had curly hair. Mine didn't quite do this. Yeah.
3: Well, same. So it, I wished it would do this. But it, it, it did not. But yeah, I mean, I I think for Tim Burton, he just like drew this picture in high school, right? That's the story. He Mm -hmm. drew this picture of a boy that had scissors for hands. And after he did Batman, and they're like, what are you gonna do next? He's like, I'd like to do this thing that's been very dear to my heart for a long time. And so they found the writer uh, Caroline Thompson. She was just like someone. I think she was at his agency, and the agency didn't quite know what to do with either of them because they were both <laughs> on. <odd. they're> <laughs> yeah, she she like you know met with him for lunch and described him as the most. Uh, what did she say? The most eloquent person who can't string a sentence together (laughs) and you know they're just kind of kindred spirits and so she ended up writing the movie and i really am curious i'm like if tim burton were to write this movie what would the story have come out as because there was no story Mm -hmm. i I think she made up the story just from the picture
1: yeah and Uh, i i I think if tim burton had written this there it would lack this very distinct feminine touch that is one of mm -hmm. the best traits of the movie
0: Mm -hmm. yeah so speaking of feminine touch we're going to talk about, in in my opinion, at least for me personally, one of my most polarizing characters in all of cinema, which is Kim Boggs. Uh-huh. A.K., how do you feel about Kim Boggs?
3: Oh, Kim. I, <laughs> you know, Tim Burton really has a thing for putting dark eyed brunettes and blonde wigs. And I guess maybe this was the first instance of that. And then they just kind of like, have also not a lot of personality, (laughs) but Kim's personality is just like, I'm a pretty girl who has a mean boyfriend and it's wrong. And I don't want him to be mean to this other guy who kind of creeps me out. But eventually for some reason, I love him. (laughs) So I still like Kim though. Like there's nothing wrong with her. I, I feel sort of similar to her about as how I feel about Edward. It's just like they both have these very gentle dispositions. Maybe she has a little bit more uh, vivacity than he does. And I want them both to be happy and not die, <laughs> which is the most you can really ask for for any movie character.
1: Not wanting the characters to die is a good, is a good thing. A good reaction yeah. to get out of your audience.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I
0: struggle with Kim so much, and it's less about Kim, the character, and more about who she's become in sort of our pop cultural lexicon. So the issue that I have with Kim is very similar to the issues that I have with The Bride of Frankenstein in that it drives me absolutely cuckoo bananas when people talk about their favorite, like, creepy movie couples and they bring up Edward and Kim because, in my opinion, Kim never deserved Edward because she spends three quarters of the movie kind of being an asshole to him. Um, And then her her desire to actually be near him just very much seems like my boyfriend's an abusive piece of shit and you're very kind to me and i need that right now so i'm just gonna latch on to you like i don't actually have any vested interest in like getting to know you better or like really seeing you um he's just sort of a, a a a placeholder for the feelings that she she needs to get out of her system Mm -hmm. um but at the same time like she does have sincere desires to see him succeed and be happy that's why after she you know covers for him at the castle she doesn't go back and visit because if she comes back and visit then that you know the 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 jig is up then people know that he's not dead so in order to keep him safe she has to never see him again Mm -hmm. um
3: Or she could have just told everybody what happened with Jim and that they were stealing stuff because she never did that. So everybody thought that Edward was a criminal. Yep, that's a very,
0: very good point. (laughs) I can't wait to get to Jim. What a piece. Um, (laughs) Like, there are a lot of things she could have done to have prevented a lot of (laughs) the turmoil that she just...
3: At any point, and at she, any point, she could have told And she just something.
0: didn't, and it just made everything more complicated. But then at the same time, I'm like, she's also a teenager, and teenagers make dumb decisions. Yes. Yes. So I don't want to hold it against her too much because this is this is like big deal stuff for her to be navigating all in the course of like a couple of weeks. Um. So, you know, that's going on there.
1: She was just minding her own business, going out of town for a weekend, then coming home, and there is a man with scissors for hands in yes. her bed. Like that's a lot like, to granted, get dropped on you. Yeah, she
3: she's an asshole to him, but like their introduction was terrifying. Uh-huh. If you try to imagine that happening to you, I would have I would have like blacked out and ended up at the other end of the street. So I can't blame her. I just yes. don't understand for
0: being why the pullout him. couch was not the first step. I don't. Why know. the waterbed? What were you thinking?
1: They weren't. Dad also gave Edward, who's presumably yeah. he he, they treated him like a small child he gave him lemonade in the basement and got this kid <laughs> fucked up and then like he gets like a one-two punch of a terrible introduction where he's just like groaning loudly yeah. at Kim
3: what's the matter what's wrong she <laughs>
1: get you nervous
3: you've been cloistered away up in that castle too long you don't
2: know anything about the wonderful world of teenage girls they're all crazy here's some straightening right out what is it? Lemonade.
3: I think I also read that the waterbed came from just like when they went location scouting, there was a waterbed in almost every house that people were actually living in at the time. And so Tim Burton was like, oh, there's gotta be water. <laughs> so I mean yeah, it's a, it's a great little detail, but they really worked to make yeah, it. yeah.
1: Has, has anybody in this like conversation ever slept on a waterbed? Oh yeah. Did you enjoy it? No, no it was okay. terrible.
0: My my. <laughs> so I have two waterbed experiences. My parents had a waterbed for a while. And when I was little, it was the coolest thing in the world to me. And I would get in trouble all the time because I would like take a running leap and belly flop on it.
1: And they're like, you're going to break it?
0: Pretty much. They're like, don't do that. You're going to break it. And I'm like, but it's fun. <laughs> so
3: can you imagine riding that wave out of the road? It would
0: be amazing. incredible. <laughs> Um, And then my second waterbed experience was I had a friend in high school who was super, super, super into, like, vintage, like, 70s stuff, and her entire, like, aesthetic was very 70s-inspired, her bedroom was very 70s-inspired, and she had, like, an old, like, like, late 70s waterbed. Oh, God. And we would all go over to her house all the time to like hang out and listen to music and do whatever. And the day that we finally were like kicked out of the living room and we had to go hang out in her bedroom, I saw the water bed, and I was like, no way. And I absolutely did what I do with all water beds, which I belly flopped on it. And the problem is that I am no longer a small child. I am now a high schooler. And there was like a teeny tiny leak, and then we had to tape it up and not tell her parents. Good job. (laughs) But it was very fun. Uh, They're terrible for your back. Yeah,
1: they have no support.
0: They sound like they'd be a good idea, but eventually the water like disperses, and then you're just kind of laying on a board.
1: Yeah, it's it's not good. Um, the only time I've ever been on a waterbed was a kid down the street from me had one, and we would sometimes hang out at his house. And uh, I'm going to say a series of words to you. Okay. That might be lame, or it might be the raddest thing you've ever heard. Okay. So this, like, <laughs> seven year old kid had a waterbed. Uh huh. It was a race car waterbed.
0: That's kind
1: of the coolest thing I've ever heard. It
0: doesn't make any sense conceptually in my head, because why would there be water in a car? Now the car
3: is useless. What if it was like a yacht waterbed?
1: Why is there water in the boat? It's going to sink. Yeah, everything's going to (laughs) sink. Why are we putting water in vehicle beds? What if you have a waterbed on a boat in your yacht?
0: I feel like that's a Mm. recipe for getting the most seasick you've ever been in your life. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Probably. Is that like the equivalent of experiencing an earthquake on a boat? Like, that's terrible.
1: <laughs> it's like you have an earthquake while you're already on top of one of those magic finger beds that they have at hotels, like cheap ones.
3: <laughs> magic finger beds?
1: Oh, is you put like a quarter in and then the bed vibrates? Oh, I
3: don't like that
1: at all. <laughs> yeah, there's. St- I think they're supposed to be like, oh, it's like a massage, but I think people mostly fuck on them. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously. I think we have mostly phased those out at this point in in American history they, the
0: last place that people could find them they would be in like really sleazy motels because there's a lot of scenes i think like king of the hill did one I definitely know the Simpsons did one where the kids would put the coins into the bed and, like, try to race them off the walls. Mm -hmm. And all the parents are like, oh, God, no, get off that. No,
1: because
0: parents know what happens on those beds. That's a fucking bed.
1: (laughs) 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 But, yes, have an earthquake while you're already on one of those. Yeah, that would be terrible. It'd be an (laughs) awful experience. Or maybe it wouldn't even matter. Maybe you're just in the eye of the storm then. That's a good point, too. Mm. I don't know how physics work. Anyway, this movie, that's magical. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, so so Kim and Edward, they don't really get off on the right foot. And then she kind of allows her shitty boyfriend to treat him like shit for three quarters of a movie. Mm-hmm. And then even when she's on good terms with Edward, she also, like, doesn't really stand up for him. Uh, Like, the the big conflict that chases him back into the castle, she gets cut by him, and she's trying to be like, oh, well, it's just a scratch. But, like, at no point does she put her foot down and say, no, I'm fine, back off. Like, that doesn't happen. It's just like, okay, I'm just going to allow myself to get whisked away into the living room so I can disinfect this.
1: Can I make an argument that she is a product of her environment? Yeah, you can. Okay, because... Look at who her parents are and kind of everyone else who just accepts everything at face value for the most part or Mm -hmm. everything that's almost pleasant. Villain, And nobody really knows how to deal with conflict and just kind of tries to be like sweet and manage it the best they can in that way. So being with who her parents are, I feel like she's not uh, at a place where she can do like deeper, more problem solving kind of maneuvers. (laughs)
3: <laughs> That's a very one difficult. naive parent and one who is just totally in a different spirit realm. He's just like so not present.
1: Oh, he's the most like Midwest dad type dad, <laughs> where he's got bowling trophies in his basement bar, <laughs> and he doesn't listen to anything anyone says. He just waits for them to stop talking so he can talk.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the entire character of Alan Arkin in this as as. I just realized his name is Bill Boggs, and that's, like, I've never, like, said that out loud. I'm like, oh, my God, that character's name is Bill Boggs. That's kind of great. Um, but, like, he he as a character is just no thoughts. Other, like, there's a hamster wheel going on in that head that's just constantly singing Christmas Day in the morning. Like, that's all that's going on there. That's him 24-7. Um, so we've kind of been kicking around Shitty Boyfriend what the hell happened to Anthony Michael Hall? I know
3: <laughs> he was so tiny. He, he was so—I mean, still terrible in uh, was it Sixteen Candles. Still terrible. Mm-hmm. But what? Not so terrible in Breakfast Club. And then suddenly, like the the speech that the dad in Edward Scissorhands does, that Alan Arkin does, is like uh, they just develop these glands and they puff up into these things and they go crazy. That's what happened to him.
1: Yeah, there's a um there's a movie that Anthony Michael Hall is in with Robert Downey Jr. called Johnny Be Good, where he's like a football player, and I've never seen it, but it's just been kind of kicking around my periphery, and I always have the thought of like, How can you ever make Anthony Michael Hall look like buff enough to be a believable football player? And then I see this movie and go, Oh yeah, he's a total fucking meathead. He's like six foot two and is kind of like like he's like a brick. He's very he just... big.
3: He doesn't look like the same person to me. The whole time no. I was watching this movie, this time I was trying to see it and I couldn't.
1: I was taking like unfair shots at Anthony Michael Hall because he's in this—he's in this transitional period between like being a boy and a man mm-hmm. for this movie. And I'm just sitting here every time he comes on screen, I'm like, "Look at this fucking rectangle-ass blockhead! <laughs> <laughs> look at this fucking jerk!" <laughs> that was just just really low blows. <laughs>
3: I mean, he does a pretty good job with it Because I feel like some of his lines Are the worst
0: mm-hmm. He's Whenever he's yelling at his buddy In the van, he is the biggest <laughs> Piece of shit He's yes. he's encouraging him to drive drunk Just drive
1: his,
3: Specifically, I wrote it down, hold on His friend says, I, f- I feel like I'm gonna Pass out or puke or something And he says, later <laughs> 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 Take me to our house like, You can do that, but later, later.
1: He's like, come on, man. Don't make me drive drunk.
3: (laughs) And then
0: when there's, like, the whole theft thing, like, Kim's even like, hey, you can't get arrested for breaking into your own house. And he's like, my dad will prosecute. And he's just like, so part of me has a little bit of empathy for him because I understand why so many, like, blockhead assholes are blockhead assholes. And it's because they have abusive fathers Mm -hmm. that are, like, just oozing toxic masculinity so and because he is a high schooler like Mm. if he was a little bit older and if he was on his own I would hold him a little bit more accountable and be a lot more critical of him but I know that like he's also a product of his environment obviously does not excuse it but I can at least understand it makes sense it makes sense I know why he's the way that he is but it's just so weird to me to think about how this is five years removed from when he is like a little scrawny wiener And now he's, like, this huge macho beefcake who is so fucking mean. And his voice got really, like, scary. And he has, like, these really targeted eyes. And I hate to say it, but, like, I look at this Anthony Michael Hall specifically in Edward Scissorhands. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's the Anthony Michael Hall that grows up to be Tommy Doyle in Halloween Kills. And, like, is just a red pill asshole. Like, yep, I see this
1: through line. God damn it. Bring up Halloween Kills in every goddamn episode.
0: I did that one honestly kind of intentionally just to get you spiced i
1: hate it why would you do this to me
0: because
3: it's funny
1: so help me god if we somehow reference that movie in nick and Nora's infinite playlist at the end of the month i'm gonna be really mad because i don't even know how we would get there
3: gotta keep up your streak
1: Uh, it's just been months of it
3: It it's the kevin of films
1: yes fucking evil never dies tonight it's horrible
0: Oh God! So those are kind of like our major players, and then we have just the town and all of these women who you can kind of interchange any of them
3: uh, with the except Except Joyce with the exception of Joyce. Joyce is special. But the others, like, the lady that always has at least one curler in her hair, uh, the lady whose head looks like a bale of hay after Edward cuts <laughs> her hair, those those are the only ones that really stick out to me. Oh, yeah. They, not because they do anything.
1: Yeah, like, they don't have specific personalities. They get identifiable once they have, like, their Whoville hair.
3: Yeah. It's just, like, their, their personality is gossip.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, like, they talk shit immediately about, like, oh my god, Edward practically raped Joyce because that's a whole scene that we should get into in a sec I can't
3: handle
1: it me either but like that happens but they're like but I'm totally okay with keeping the exact same haircut he gave me because it looks really good (laughs) we're okay with keeping our dog styled the way that he did it like oh my god they're like you did something for me and it looks really nice but like "Mm, morally I can't stand by you but also like I appreciate the work you did it benefits me." me
3: To be fair, a couple of them do rescue him from being shot by the cops Mm -hmm. at least once Uh, when he's originally coming out of Jim's house. They run up and they're like, stop, stop, those are his hands. So,
1: yeah, that's you know, true. well, I
3: guess at that point they didn't really have much reason except that maybe Joyce had already gone around telling everyone about her, you know, near rape, which just like makes me want to puke. Same. To say that, but. Yeah.
1: Oh, and like God, they use that in like those exact terms in this movie. hmm. And like we had the option when we were looking for this movie to watch it for the episode where it's like, well, it's on Amazon Prime and it's on Disney Plus and we don't have to pay for either if we have a s- subscription. And I'm willing to bet that Disney's going to edit some things. So we are absolutely watching it on Friday. <laughs> and I feel like they would have cut that part because there's oh, no way man, the word rape true. exists on the Disney Plus channel. Yeah.
3: I feel like we need to do some research here and uh, go watch it. Because I'm to very compare. curious I <laughs> did not think about it. Different. Oh, completely different. No kidding. He's so mysterious. Yeah. Do you imagine those hands are hot? Or cold. <sighs> And just think what a single snip could do or
0: undo. <laughs> yeah, so so Joyce is one that I do want to talk about, and it is because of that scene. Because what's so frustrating about Joyce is that everything about her I do love, other than obviously that I moment. Know. Oh, her styling! Like her styling's incredible. She's always listening to Tom Jones. Oh, so much Tom! I Jones. have such an affinity for like like bored housewives that are trying to fuck everyone. I, I,
1: can I just say <laughs> that, like, as an aside note about Tom Jones, when she is flirting with, like, the dishwasher repairman, the Tom Jones that is playing in the background is Delilah, which is a song about Tom Jones as the narrator, catching his woman cheating on him, and then marching up and killing her.
0: <laughs> Great choice, Joyce. Great choice. <laughs> Great choice. <laughs> um, yes. Yeah, so, she's like, on yeah, paper, there. she has everything that I love. I also love a woman who is unashamed to have an orgasm in front of all of her friends in the front yard in the middle of the day. Right. (laughs) Good for you. That's great. Love it. Um, But yeah, that that scenario with Edward is so uncomfortable and it feels so out of left field for this movie. Like, it's so bleak. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it was registered as that bleak during this time period because we weren't having these very complicated and nuanced conversations around rape culture just yet. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious, like, you know, people who had seen this movie as adults and could process it
1: as that time, like, how did they feel about this scene? Because I have no idea. Yeah, I I would have no clue either. But I, we certainly, I don't think, we're having the same discussions about rape culture in 1990. We were having even fewer conversations about, like, falsifying rape claims...
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the thing that I think makes me so frustrated with that whole situation with Joyce is that, you know, he leaves because he's clearly uncomfortable and he absolutely should leave. Mm -hmm. And her response to that is you can't do that, like kind of implying like, hey, you left me with blue balls. Like that's the the subtext of that scene. And then for her to then turn that into like, oh, yeah, no, he practically tried to rape me. Um, which obviously is her trying to cover her own ass in case Edward says something, which he does. He's like, she showed me the back room and then took all her clothes off. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But it, it is like, I don't know if it's supposed to be subversive because that's a thing so many men do where mm-hmm. like there's so many like teen girl movie pl- subplots where it's like, oh, we went on a date, but it didn't work out and she rejected me. So then he goes to school the next day and tells everyone she gave him a blow job. Like, that's in the craft that's in like a ton of movies yeah and it's just so weird to like see the role reversal here not because it doesn't happen because obviously we know that it does but i don't know what the the intent behind that scene was
1: so so one thing i want to bring up with the joys in i bj and i have like this thing where we have an aside with each other in in confidence where we go okay but for real I would hate fuck that woman <laughs> because she is, she is older and evil and I like her aesthetically in so many ways. And I want to be the one to give her the best sex of her life, knowing that she would hate me because I would never yeah. give it to her again. I want to ruin her life.
3: <laughs> and she also has an incredible ass that she's always wearing uh, those like
1: knit. She's wearing I these like, I
3: don't even know what material that is.
1: I don't know. They're like these polyester <laughs> pants that you see like, with uh, like Dexter's mom from Dexter's lab where it's just like, ah, the beautiful like white mom's ass where it's flat and wide and looks marvelous in these high-waisted pants that hug it. Like, big fan.
3: Yes,
0: yes. Yeah, she's definitely built like a Pixar character. And like uh-huh. the worst part is that the be- like the best view of it is when she's like climbing on top of him and it's like yeah. god damn it, why would you shoot it this way because like this is so titillating, but this is a terrible situation.
1: Yes, especially because Edward is treated like at the very least a teenager. Right. Even if he is immortal apparently. So there yeah. there's a lot of weirdness to this, but as an aside this is there's something that we talked about while we were watching it speaking of like sexuality every single woman in this neighborhood like all of the neighbor women at least they all want to have sex with edward all of them are horny for him and i had this question yeah. where i was like okay so we know that this character is sort of a stand-in for Tim Burton's childhood, which means, did all of, did Tim Burton write, like, a fantasy piece where all the women wanted to have sex with him, or is this sort of based on his real experience where it's like, oh, hey, um, I could have sex with you, and it would piss my husband off because you're a freak. <laughs> oh,
3: my God, I've never thought about it. I'm gonna just gut go with option A.
1: <laughs>
3: That's not to say option B isn't possible. Tim
1: Burton wants MILFs to like him. And honestly saying.
3: This is MILF fantasy.
0: Because <laughs> it, it did end up kind of having this weird conversation we were having about how I've I've talked about it a bit on the show, but when I was in high school, I frequently would hook up with guys that I had no intention of dating because I knew that they were like super into the idea of having sex with the weird goth girl. Mm -hmm. And And they were like jocks and stuff. And they were like jocks and stuff. And they were like desperate for it because they weren't socially allowed to admit that they found alternative girls hot. And I have, you know, because of my, my past encounters with non-consensual sex like it it was so devalued for me at that point that i was not precious about it the way that a lot of my friends were so if like a jockey guy was like hey you want to sometime i'd be like yeah sure and then like i got like a weird power high off of it yeah you gotta hate fuck them exactly (laughs) so like i i kept thinking about that with this whole situation with tim burton where i part of me thinks that maybe if he was kind of the lone weird goth kid in burbank that he probably was sought after and people probably were fascinated by him because he is so different. Uh-huh. Um, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know. There's a lot of weird things at play in this movie. This is a weird movie. I love this movie, yeah. but it's a weird movie. <laughs> it's a weird movie if yeah.
1: you break up the in- individual pieces of it that like you're not supposed <laughs> yeah. to think about. But like, I mean,
3: I think if <laughs> would we go back to like the the weird housewife sex fest thing, it's like. You know, you you have that one scene where it just shows all of the husbands leaving for the day. Mm -hmm. They're just so bored at home. They have nothing to look forward to. Mm -hmm. Their lives are just going to be this for all of eternity. Mm -hmm. So when some other random guy shows up, like, yeah, he's definitely way too young and he is maybe not alive. But it's something to think about and something to just have some sort of fantasy over since, like, there's just no fantasy in their lives anymore. No.
1: Um, There's, like, no independence or life outside of this neighborhood for so many of these women. Because, I mean, for one thing, all these households probably only have one car. If, like, Mm -hmm. if whenever, like, out of time in, like, the 30s or 40s or whenever this would be taking place, because it's a flashback, whenever that would have been, who knows, like, what kind of autonomy they have. But you even have... Um, mom, who's like the only one who seems to be like kind of having independence, and she gets to do it by schlocking Avon. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The only independence that any woman in this community has that's an adult is somebody who's in an MLM, which I feel like this, <laughs> anytime somebody's like, How did so many people get sucked into LuLaRoe leggings? I just want to be like, Um. Watch Edward Scissorhands. This is this is why Mrs. Boggs ends up in in selling Avon, which mm-hmm. is an MLM. But a lot of people don't realize that because they're like, "Oh, there's like a magazine that you can get with things, though, and you could like order things." It's like, yeah, but you still have to order it through like your Avon representative. Yeah, like,
1: it's all it's been around long enough that it's also been normalized and ingrained in stuff that just it's it's a facet of American living. Mm-hmm. Same thing with Mary Kay for a while, where I used to have lots of random women try to be like, "Oh, you're trans, you're freshly out. Here, let me help you with your makeup for only 12.99 for this concealer and 14.99 oh for this eyebrow pencil and oh my god, I'm here to help you."
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh god. Have either of you ever been to an Avon or a Mary Kay party?
1: I no. was at a Mary Kay thing with A woman who did my hair at her sister's apartment, Wow! and I was the only one there.
3: Wait, how did you end up there? Harmony, is this
0: when you're confessing to us that you are Edward Scissorhands and this woman is Joyce? (laughs) (laughs) What's happening? God, if
1: only. No. um, (laughs) I worked in a pie shop. In, in rural Ohio at the time it's just getting better yeah, There's a lot of weird details that go into this um, <laughs> So I was working at this pie shop And there was a salon next door And I went there to get my hair done And aside from like The woman just subtly putting in new highlights To my hair every time I went there um, Which then eventually made Meant the top layer of my hair was entirely blonde <laughs> So I was kind of like this Just Kaja gugu kind of dual Tone thing that was weird <laughs> But in passing, she was like, hey, um, you know, I can help you with your makeup if you want. And I'm like, I'm young and don't know things. That would be lovely. Thank you. And she's like, well, you can come into my house. I live like an hour away. And I'm like, I already drive like an hour to get here. That is a two hour trip. I'm not willing to make And She's like, well, my sister lives here. So uh, maybe we can meet at her apartment sometime. So we oh met God. at her apartment and she wasn't there. <laughs> And then she was just like putting makeup on me, like in this movie. And then was like, This is really good for smoothing out like any kind of blemishes or anything, and really like evening out your complexion. And also, it costs this much. (laughs) And that's like the moment where I went, Oh no, it's a scheme. I've been trapped. And I think I bought like one thing because I felt bad.
3: (laughs) No, that's what they're relying on. He's pitying them.
1: Pity buy. Yes, exactly. So um, unfortunately, the pity buy doesn't work when it's only one person. You need to get a whole room of people together for the pity buy. Uh, <laughs> right, then you right. make your money. But yeah, that was. She
3: spent two hours putting makeup on you to sell a $14.99 pound.
1: Yes. Yeah, you see, I if it was two hours. I would have felt really bad. I think it was like 30 minutes. And then I was like, I got to go. <laughs> That's
3: so
0: awkward. It was really awkward. I will say, obviously, Mary Kay's MLM, not great. I used to be the general manager of an indoor playground for a lot of rich, uh, parents, kids. And one of the moms was like one of the top Mary Kay people. She had like a baby pink Cadillac that Mary Kay gave her. It was, it was a whole thing. And for Christmas one year, she gifted me like a lip kit. Cause she knew that I liked wearing really big, like bright colors. And, um, uh, she gave me like a lip exfoliant that went with it. And, uh, that shit works,
1: <laughs> so <laughs> I get why they're still around, because not everything they sell is bullshit. <laughs> I mean, that's kind of like Adam and Eve parties, because Adam and Eve toys are really bad. However, they have pretty good uh, lubes and creams. Oh, the more you know. Yeah. <laughs> I
3: did not know what Adam and Eve was until you said lubes and oh, yeah, yeah, I was like, oh, Oh, so a toy for children.
1: Yes, there um, are <laughs> they're, they're a lot of cheap sex toys that I used to watch infomercials about at like 4 a.m. because they were hilarious. Mm-hmm. My personal favorite, uh, and this was like the year like 2005 or something, when this was like a very new gimmick, was a a vibrator that came with an MP3 player in it. And they were trying to bill it as like, if your man's out of town on a business trip, you could go ahead and get some recordings of like him talking or moaning so you can go ahead and pledge yourself to him while he's out of town. Yes. <laughs>
3: That's not what I thought it was gonna be at all. I thought it was gonna be a vibrator that pulse to the beat. Oh my
1: god, that'd song. be way cooler. <laughs> Those do exist. Yeah, no, that's a. Uh, oh, this was 2005, man. and Mary K- and uh, Adam and Eve is not a very good company <laughs> with like good technology, so we weren't there yet. But I was like, hey, you know, this is an era of like the iPod Nano with like two gigs. If there's enough gigabytes on this MP3 player in the dildo, I would rock it. Just pull that out of a bag while you're on the bus or something.
0: <laughs> That'd be yeah. hilarious. So okay. So speaking though of like time periods. Uh, speaking of vibrators. <laughs> speaking of vibrators. No. Speaking so, of time periods. We'll come back to it. <laughs> what? Like, what time period is this? Like, do we know? Because this movie just feels like it's trapped in a lot of different time frames. Because we we know that Winona Ryder is telling a story to her granddaughter, and, and she's she's very old, she's very <laughs> old now. Um, yeah. At least yeah. like sixty years plus what she is in in the movie, so so she's telling the story from her memory, which means we're going to the past.
1: Is Edward Scissorhands in the future? Right, from is where it we in, are now. Yeah, is
0: it in the future? Is it in the past? Where are we supposed to be? And part of me also doesn't care. That I don't know what time period we're in because it works in my opinion for this this theory I have that like Edward's Cesar Hands is like one of the last modern fables that we've ever been given mm. um, because it's it's a Everything that surrounds them is modern. Like they have television, they have telephones, they can communicate, they have cars. Like it's very modern up very, to like
1: the sixties. Yeah, it's it's the for 70s. the most part
0: it's yeah. it's pretty modern. It's it's at least identifiable to current audiences. And then Edward is the one thing that is otherworldly. And it's not otherworldly in the sense of like magic. It's otherworldly in the sense of like Paul Bunyan or Johnny Appleseed or somebody who's just like so beyond understanding humanity,
2: mm-hmm.
0: so it falls to me more as a fable than it does like. A, I know this gets called like a fairy tale a lot,
2: mm-hmm. and
0: that's. I, I I don't know like it, it because it just it feels so grounded in reality while at the same time not being. I don't know what to classify this as.
1: It's just whimsical. It's a suburban like whimsy.
3: It... <laughs> yes, yes, suburban fantasy. <laughs> The, I feel like it has to be, I mean, just like looking at their technology, their cars, everything that they have, I don't know that it's explicitly set in the 1950s, but it feels 50s, 60s at the latest mm-hmm. in, in the, the main part of the story, although some of the design, you know, those pastels and everything that they're in does feel very 90s Florida, which is where they mm-hmm. shot it. So. Right. Who knows? I don't know. If, I don't know if Tim Burton's brain works like that. I feel like I'm so jealous of him because he is just one of those people that can just be so free-minded and just be like, yes. And he has scissors for hands, and then uh, everything looks like this and this and and the people that work under him are like, okay, well, we have to make that make sense for our jobs, but. We don't have to tell him what we're doing, <laughs> and like like Stan Winston, you know, incredible effects artist who you know created the Terminator and the Xenomorph from Alien, and he made the scissor hands for this movie. He was just like, so, uh, how are they supposed to work? And like, should they have handles? And should they have this? And and Tim Burton, he was like, I very quickly learned that that's just not how he works, <laughs> and that I just like figure it out. I'll figure out the mechanics of it. You just like give me the vibes. So, maybe that's sort of how it all came about that like all of the department heads made decisions based on how they thought it should be because you're not gonna you can't ask Tim Burton these things he doesn't think that way
1: <laughs> you know that but but for real though, like that's good enough, and I think that actually ends up making this yeah. a very collaborative thing where he's not like policing the everything of his universe or at least maybe not during this stage of his career. I don't know how he's gotten as time's gone on. But you have everyone with all of these ideas coming in. And I think that makes for a, a very interesting thing. Because, I mean, film in general is is a collaborative medium. But when you have all these people who are just like, my goal is to make the scissor hands work. And my goal is to make the yeah. colors pop. I mean, colors in a Tim Burton movie. Who'd have fucking thought? <laughs> like, it's, it's, it's really yeah. weird to think about nowadays. But if you have one thing to do and everybody has their one job... I don't know, I, I feel like that's maybe one reason that this came together so well, you know?
3: Yeah, and this is one of those crews, too, where it's, it's like, all of these people kind of at the beginning of their absolutely incredible careers, and they, they, they've, they like, really got to shine in this movie, and then this movie was so successful that they're still doing incredible stuff today. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a pretty cool crew that we got here.
0: So, AK, something I wanted to ask you specifically, because in addition to being just a magnificent director, um, you've also worked in production, you're also an artist, so you definitely have an eye for how... Sets and and production and, and like all of the the technical aspects of like the like the, the not people aspects of a film, um, you know how those can be used to tell a story. So I'm very curious, like, what does this world like? What does it say to you?
3: I think from the moment that we first see, you know, we we're introduced to this world after we see Winona Ryder talking to her granddaughter being eaten by that giant bed and then we go out the window. Great. I love an out the window transition <laughs> to fly over miniatures. <laughs> and then and then we you know we see Peg and we see we're introduced to this very, very pastel, brightly colored world. I think that the first time that we ever see the house, yeah for sure, is that when she turns her rear view mirror to show the castle which was actually just like they set up a miniature on a couple of C stands right uh, behind her rear view mirror so she I love turn the it.
1: practicality of that shot because it just means that you adjust yes. the mirror to a miniature like four feet away. <laughs>
3: yes, it's amazing. I, I really enjoy how this movie pulls no punches in trying to act gritty or grounded in any way. It's not. I mean, they, they do have some more grounded elements, like just, you know, they, they shot in actual neighborhoods. So it, it feels like uh, a real place, but obviously they painted all of the houses in those insane colors. Mm -hmm. And then you have that castle nearby and it's like, they blended those more grounded elements with the, the, the thing that would eventually morph into Tim Burton's what people recognize as his style, that very like nightmare before Christmas, uh, there are no right angles kind Mm -hmm. of thing. And when she goes into the castle, that's what it becomes. And I think that the reason that this movie works is has a lot. I mean, I will say this about pretty much every movie because I work in the art department, but I think a lot of the reason this movie works is because of the production design. I think that this movie, so much of the personality of this movie and the themes of this movie are expressed through the design and how each individual artisan who worked on this movie, you know, interpreted the vision of one high school boy's drawing. I I think it's incredible the the way that that happened. And um, I'm not really sure where I'm going with this. (laughs) No, all of this is great. (laughs) Okay, great.
0: <laughs> so yeah. So in kind of like capsuling everything that we've been talking about, I want to revisit a question that we brought up at the start of the episode, and it's why do we think it is though? Because this is this is a movie that is based off of a high school boy's drawing and a high school boy's experience and a boy's experience of not fitting in in the world. Now that we've kind of really talked it out, why do we think that this is a movie that girls responded to so immediately. Because it can't all just be that Johnny Depp is hunky. Like, that can't be it. <laughs> so throwing it around the room, and I'm going to start with you, Harmony. Why do you think it is?
1: Um, well, I guess relating this to what I remember from being a teen, there was um, an appeal to, like, Boys who looked like Edward when I was in high school, you know,
2: mm-hmm. very mm-hmm.
1: skinny limbs, big hair, pale face, like scene kids. That was there. There was something to that because whether there was or wasn't, they were not seen as threatening. Mm-hmm. There was something approachable and desirable because it, it was honestly very similar to how like hair metal bands were in the uh, the '80s, even where just like makeup, knowing how to do hair, there was this thing that women and girls could relate to with that boy in just ter- in terms of their aesthetic. Mm-hmm. But the actual themes that Edward is experiencing in this, they're, they're soft.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And you don't have that with a lot of male leads, especially during this period. Um, certainly not, you know, leads that are above a certain age. Like maybe this is a bit more common with like kids, And I think seeing that, but it being this kind of hard edged teen world where like there's blood and Vincent Price just dies. And presumably he rots on the floor because Edward can't move him because he does not have hands or that they use words like rape. And there's sexuality and drinking and smoking and almost vehicular manslaughter and almost like. A mob coming to Frankenstein this boy in his castle as he runs away. Like, there's a lot of jarring things in this that doesn't really make it feel like a kid's movie. But Edward himself feels childish. Mm -hmm. And I think that there is something intriguing to that. That related, was very relatable to boys because of just inherently what Edward is and what he looks like. And if you were, like, a fan of The Cure, then it's like, ah, yes, Friday, I'm in love. Mm, Yeah, That sounds like how Edward looks. But (laughs) I think it resonates much more with a female audience because of all that.
3: But let's also not uh, (laughs) take lightly the power of a young Johnny Depp because wasn't it him who, when he was... He had auditioned for uh Nightmare on Elm Street and like Wes Craven's daughter was like Dad if you don't put him <laughs> in the movie. I, I I don't even remember what her. I think she said she was, was never gonna was talk to him to again. Him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean and there is something I I remember watching this as a young teen and feeling like a camaraderie with him and like I, I understood his you know, your, your angst, you're just, "Uh, nobody gets me, nobody Mm -hmm. ever will. But also, there was something so powerful, like what you said, Harmony, about just his gentleness, and he kind of just walks into every room like Mm -hmm. a doe, and looks around with those like big, gentle eyes. And I think that that was just a type of boyishness that at the time I had never encountered, because, you know, just like, teenage boys, especially like middle schoolers who they can be brutes and they're just, it's like kids are (laughs) shitty. And, And so to just, to just experience something different was really intriguing. And then this is also just one of those movies that in general, because Back to the uh, <laughs> the craftsmanship of the movie, this is just one of those movies that just sucks you into mm-hmm. the world, and you are so wrapped with this world that I do feel like there is a little bit, you experience a little bit of the awe that the neighbors experience when Edward comes into their lives, when he
1: comes into your life for the first time. Yeah, no, definitely. And, like, if you want to compare Edward to, say, other teen boys, like... We have that. It's essentially like a a lover's quarrel between a jock and him.
0: (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So Johnny Depp, I think the the power that he has in this movie is, one, his commitment to play that, like, what we would call radical softness now. And I, I have a list of the other actors who were in contention for the role. And I just would love to hear y'all's responses to it because Mm -hmm. it's ridiculous. So the person that um, Tim Burton wanted, which to me, I think, solidifies uh, Harmony, your prediction that he was fantasy booking himself in this movie a little bit with like all of the women loving him. Mm
1: -hmm. He wanted Tom Cruise. Oh, God, that would have been weird. I don't want that.
3: Well actually wait, hold on though, cuz this is that is opposite of what I've always heard. I heard that the studio wanted Tom Cruise, Burton was like not interested, but they made him meet with him and he was just like, no, "Oh, you're correct.
0: You are correct. He did not. not want Tom Cruise. The studio wanted but Tom But he Cruise. didn't
3: He wanted I think Gary Oldman who turned it down. Yes. And Tom then, Tom Hanks Who else like Robert yeah, Downey Jr. Jr. Tom Hanks, Tom Hanks turned Hanks, it down.
0: Yeah. Um Jim Carrey was also considered. That one, I think that I think that one it would have leaned a little bit into the comedy because he is just so animated. The one person on this list that makes me be like, "Huh," is uh, John Cusack.
3: Oh, i never heard that one. The that
1: thing is, though, like John Cusack, I could see doing this, like in his youth, a young Jim Carrey. I think that would have changed his entire career trajectory. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I mean, those are both interesting, like. I would love to be in a parallel universe where we still get this movie, but I want to know what that looks like. Yeah. Either of those. I'm just curious. <laughs> I am
3: curious. I have a feeling that, like, so many of these people, though, if you actually put them in the hair and makeup and costume, they would have just been
1: straight up scared. Yeah, scary. probably. Yeah,
3: I think, I think so, too, because there is something... <laughs>
0: I like when you were you compared him to being like a doe. Oh,
1: with those eyes. Yeah, it's
0: it's the eyes really because he he doesn't talk a lot in this movie. Like Edward really doesn't. It's a lot of physical acting mm-hmm. and especially a lot of facial acting. A lot of small
1: phrases at most.
0: Mhm. And because of that, a lot of what you're getting out of this character is is the eyes as, you know, Anna Ferris brilliantly says in the House Bunny, "The eyes are the nipples of the face," <laughs> and you know that's that's kind of what we're what we're getting with this character. And I, I think about a lot of these other actors, and I think about what they, what the, where their strengths are, what they could be doing, and I don't. It just it feels like it had, it had to be Johnny Depp. Like mm-hmm. it just had
1: to be him.
3: Yeah. I'm just glad it wasn't Tom Cruise because that wouldn't have been as uh, I wouldn't have been my kind of. Movie yeah, part. agreed. I,
1: there's, there's this machismo that Tom Cruise insists on putting in all of his things because yeah. he has short a short guy complex. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he could have <laughs> been vulnerable in the correct way for this role.
0: Agreed. And mm-hmm. that that vulnerability to me is why I think so many girls gravitated towards this movie because as we were talking about it I was really thinking about the the teen girl experience and how so many things that Edward goes through are pretty comparable to what a lot of girls do as far as like everybody being really obsessed with you if you can serve a purpose for them And throwing you to the side if you cannot, Mm -hmm. Um, getting a lot of unwanted attention from adults when you are not mature enough or uh, like old enough or whatever enough to recognize to recognize what's happening. Yeah, like that is such like a girl specific experience, and that's not to say that like boys don't Mm -hmm. also experience it, but not at the level that girls do, Mm -hmm. or people who are you know socialized as as girls. like like that was really, really prominent. um and and also the idea of like everything that you touch, you kind of destroy. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's how a lot of girls feel when they're growing up because your friendship breakups when you're a teen girl are super dramatic. Your, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever relationships those are super dramatic when you're growing up and everything is heightened and our hormones hit us faster and they hit us harder. And like there's all these different things that we're dealing with that feel so impossible to understand unless you've experienced them. Mm -hmm. So I can understand like seeing somebody like Edward and treating him like a vessel for what we're going through and what we're feeling. And then also at the same time, like you were saying, Harmony, like because there's something so intriguing about that softness, and like you said, AK, just the power of Johnny Depp in general, just being kind of drawn in and mesmerized as like Edward Scissorhands is both the person that they want to be with, but also the person they feel like.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I I get it. There's, there's magic and,
1: and that's the true magic
0: maybe of this movie.
1: <laughs> Edward's whatever you want him to be. Yeah.
0: <laughs> and in, in a weird way that kind of like proves the sadness of the movie is that that character exists to be, who you want him to be and does he ever truly have autonomy does he ever truly get to live like what is he doing in the castle after all these years just pruning
1: this is like some yeah this is some like a girl with all the gifts, sad ending that's sort of beautiful but it's like oh yeah he gets to do his art and be undisturbed but he's also alone gardening is a lot of work
0: and who is bringing those ice blocks up there for him to carve
1: Maybe maybe that's what Winona's doing. She's shipping those up there, and that's it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) There's an Amazon drone that shows up every season and drops ice (laughs) in his in the hole that's in his roof that no one has fixed. Yes.
3: How do you know he's still alive? I don't know. Not for sure. But I believe he is.
0: So, do we have any final thoughts on Edward Scissorhands?
3: Oh, um, I do have two f- fun facts to share. Beautiful. Please do share away. One is: uh, Did you know that there is a Backstreet Boy in Edward Scissorhands?
1: Which one? Uh,
3: it, it's it's the scene when he first when Edward first comes to the neighborhood and he looks and sees a boy slip and sliding. If you look closely, you'll see that the boy has a familiar uh, mop of blonde hair. That is Nick Carter.
1: Oh,
0: this totally tracks.
3: It's on his IMDb. He has I'm so credited. <laughs> <laughs> is it an, an extra in Edward Scissorhands. hands. That makes total then, sense
0: because they're a Florida band. Oh, my God. That's great. Oh, are they? I didn't even know oh, that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
3: Um, okay. And then the, the other fact that I know is that Caroline Thompson had talked about how when she originally wrote the script, they had talked about it being a musical because they thought, oh, you know, it needs to feel really uh, fantastical. And there was a song in it called I Can't Handle It. (laughs) Then (laughs) uh, when Tim Burton read the script, he was like, I think we can uh, not make it a musical anymore. (laughs) So they cut everything out. (laughs) That's my favorite Edward Scissorhands fact.
1: (laughs) I also want to live in a parallel universe. Where we get the musical right, version the of Edward musical. Scissorhands starring Jim Carrey.
3: <laughs> I do want. I do want to hear the song. I can't handle it.
1: Oh God! I'm sure it's amazing and way on the nose. Uh, so
0: something oh, well. I do know for sure is that uh, I eventually I feel like Edward Scissorhands will will get a musical um, if oh, no. they <laughs> if they haven't already. I'm sure some like indie theater has done mm-hmm. one um but i do know that there is a like a dance show is the best way i can describe <laughs> it where like it's not quite a musical but it's definitely more dance than anything that's based on edward Hands. um which i think is great and i know that the inventor is played by a woman and i love that like that i think is nice. really interesting because like Otherwise, you're just going to have somebody doing, like, a weird impression of Vincent Price. Mm -hmm. And then when that happens, then you're basically just getting Jeffrey Combs in House on Haunted Hill. Yes. Which, again, I'm okay with, but that's what that
1: ends up being. As an aside, Mm -hmm. how lovely is Vincent Price in this movie?
0: Oh,
1: He's so charming and so sweet. Like, you see his face light up at several points, and he's got beautiful eyes, and... He, honestly, I know he's, like, super old in this movie. It's one of his last ones. But also, um, he just kind of looks like normal Vincent Price, but now he's yeah. got white hair.
3: I think this was his last major role, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's it's beautiful. It's a really beautiful role to go out on and to, like, be in a film that was made by someone who clearly worshipped him. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm sure that they had a very... Uh, kind of mentor and mentee kind of relationship on set that that must have been really nice for him to be directed by someone who just loved him
0: yeah because yeah. i think about you know because tim burton does have such a close affinity for vincent price i mean frank and weenie i know that he yeah. has his little his little micro doc about him um and i i think that vincent would have been very happy to know that was his last role because yeah. it is just so wonderful just the the look of pure wonderment on his face when he's looking at his like cookie making inventions
3: yeah.
0: is just so pure and sweet and the way that he laughs at his own joke when he reads the poem it's just <laughs> it's so heartwarming yeah.
3: He got to be his last role or at least his last big role got to be in a film that was basically an homage to his entire career. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, pretty much. Which is cool. which is just beautiful. There's there's so many wonderful elements working in this movie and I mean, I I try not to let my feelings about this movie be impacted by the fact that, you know, Johnny Depp has grown up to be kind of a weirdo and kind of a problem. <laughs> he walks with wolves <laughs> and i know tim burton's come under fire in in recent years for saying some like pretty insensitive stuff about like the reason he doesn't have people of color in his movies is because they don't quote unquote fit his aesthetic or whatever mm-hmm. like
3: oh no i didn't know that oh god oh, yeah, yeah
0: that it's it's a recent thing um It's also just very annoying. It did spark a really beautiful trend on TikTok where a ton of black makeup artists were doing their makeup as if they were characters in a Tim Burton movie to sort of, like, prove, like, no, this aesthetic still works. And, oh, God, it's so beautiful. Like, Mm -hmm. it looks so awesome. Um, So I'm I'm hoping that that he learned, like cuz he seems like the kind of guy that he just needs somebody to tell him cuz he's also <laughs> old now like a lot of these a lot of these guys that were making movies that were so impactful on us as as kids or as young adults they're they're old and they're out of yeah. touch and they need someone to kind of be like hey no mm-hmm. <laughs> let me let me yeah. let me teach you They're a thing all
3: jk rowlings at this point god
0: <sighs> yeah they really fucking are uh-huh. i
1: mean
3: to yeah to this young uh you know puerto rican girl who always you know role played in my room as myself in a tim burton movie i <laughs> i wouldn't have thought that about him and it bums me out but yeah i mean his movies are very white so yeah
0: So I I guess my final question before we kind of wrap things up here is, you know, obviously this is somebody whose work has really spoken to you. Um, Has Tim Burton's influence impacted your own
3: work? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I, (laughs) I, I, I think it's like pretty clear to if anybody has ever seen something that I've made that like I have this sort of yearning to make things that are modern fables and that are Sort of like horror fantasy stories, and that didn't come from nowhere, it came partially from here, and it came from a lot of other places. But I, no matter what this guy says or you know, does, that's gonna probably offend me when I start looking into this. I,
1: (laughs) sorry to bum you out. (laughs)
3: I just I can't deny that there's there's a very clear influence there and I have a lot to thank him for and you know I mean also honestly like you know as a lot of other Tim Burton fans I am not a huge fan of his work in the past like 15 years Mm -hmm. or more but the the influence is strong and it's there and it's there from the beginning and um his influences or my influences. Like, you know, you go back to your, your heroes, the people that you watched their stuff growing up, and, and you can trace back to who their heroes were. And a lot of times you're going to love that stuff too. So I just, I appreciate the things that he created and always will.
0: I love that. And, and know that this is a safe space to love things critically. We talk about that a lot on the show, especially mm-hmm. any sort of teen media. A lot of times things don't age well or the creators themselves have, you know, issues. We talk like especially somebody like John Hughes, where the movies are so important and defined yeah. a genre. And then it's upon rewatch that you're like, wow, 16 Candles. Oh,
3: oh, my God. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I, I loved that movie as, as a kid. And then I watched it even just as a teen and was like, oh, my God. Yeah, <laughs> oh my God. It's like mortifying.
1: <laughs> Um, BJ gets yeah. personally injured like every time she thinks about Kirstie Alley.
0: It, oh, it hurts uh, my soul so hard every time I think because she's like a crazy trumper now. And I'm like, you were the most important actor. What? Act. Yes, it kills me. She was the no. most important actor to me growing up because that was like she was my attainable goal. Just, uh, crush. I
3: love Kirstie Alley. Crushes I my love soul. That show. What was the show? Uh, what was the show that she. Fat actress. Had about her- that move, that show is so good. Yeah. <laughs>
0: well, she's so talented and un- unbelievable. So we we talk a lot about loving things critically and being able to yeah. know that something is like means a lot to us and is meaningful, and also might have its own issues that it needs to unpack. Like yeah. those two truths can exist at the same time, and mm-hmm. uh, uh, us as a society being able to understand and accept that about one another is one of the quickest ways that we will be able to achieve progress but no one wants to do it which is a thing well harmony yes the time has come yeah edward scissorhands is asking you to the prom is it a yes a no or a maybe and are you writing anything on the card back
1: it's a yes i honestly forgot kind of how much i liked this movie um, it, it's, it's a, because it's been a long time since Tim Burton made a truly great film mm-hmm. and he's made a lot of, um, sort of lazy things, oftentimes with Johnny Depp that <laughs> yes. it's kind of easy to forget how good this was, especially because it was that this and Beetlejuice and especially Nightmare Before Christmas was just merchandise to hell ever since the guy from Ambercrombie bought Hot Topic. Mm-hmm. That I was just like I'm done with these. I'm I'm oversaturated. My my Tim Burton cup hath runneth over and has made a mess, like a <laughs> a, a black and white monochrome mess. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, I I was very very delighted by this movie in a way that I have not been in a long time. Yay!
3: <laughs> well, thank you for uh <laughs> for. Oh, my God. I can't think of the word I'm trying to say. Humoring me. Thank you for humoring me uh, with a watch of this moment. No, of course. Yeah, nice chat about yeah, it. I, thank yeah.
1: Thank you for coming on. Thank thank you for giving me a reason to rewatch a movie I 100% would not have otherwise. <laughs> Great.
3: That's what podcasts are for. Yes.
1: This is what I... Honestly, <laughs> if I it's the one way to guarantee that i'm going to watch a thing because i'm really hard to get to sit down to watch movies because i'm just tired and don't have time these days but it forces me to and then i'm forced to spend time with my wife and it's great
0: i like how you said forced to spend time with me like it's such
1: a chore
3: and then i said (laughs) oh
0: AK, I want to thank you so much for joining us today and talking about Edward Scissorhands. This has been such a lovely conversation. If you would like anyone to find you on the internet or check out your work, or if there's anything you want to plug, now is your chance.
3: Sure. I'm. Uh, my website is akespada.com. I am akespada on Instagram. You can find the project that I'm currently working on. Uh, which is sort of a modern-day fable about a woman who becomes a vampire and so has to live forever, even though she previously was trying to end her life. Very personal and (laughs) dark story. Uh, You can find that at I underscore could underscore just underscore die on Instagram, or you can just go to my Instagram, aka Spada, and it's in the links in the bio. So, uh, yeah.
0: Beautiful. So thank you all, uh, as always, for listening. If you would like to support the show, we have our Patreon, patreon.com backslash prom. I definitely forgot to say it at the top, but hey, you know what to expect from me at this point. You can also follow the show on Twitter and Instagram at prom. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BJ
1: Colangelo. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at velocitraptor, veloci underscore trap underscore tor. Thank you, as always, to the Sonderbombs for allowing
0: us to use their song title as our theme song. Y'all are thebomb.com. We love you so very much. Harmony, what cool indie band do you want people to check out this week?
1: Uh, specifically, because this movie is s- o- scored by Danny Elfman, I wanted to find a band that had Danny Elfman energy. Okay. Uh, of which mm-hmm. I am plugging a band that's been around the block for a long time that I've been a big fan of since like junior high, I think, possibly. It's like early 2000s, maybe. They're called the World Inferno Friendship Society. Um, unfortunately, band leader Jack Terrycloth passed away earlier this year, so I think that they are kibbutz. But they even released an album all the way up to last year called All Borders Are Porous to Cats. And it's, uh, I, I, they're just a really, really fun cabaret band that's misplaced by time that uses a lot of horns and clarinets and jazz piano. And loud guitars and violent lyrics—they're—they're just a little bit of a lot of things, and uh, it's got wicked Danny Elfman energy. Amazing! What
3: what album should we start with?
1: Oh, that's a great question. I'm a big fan of "Addicted to Bad Ideas," but that's the one I listened to the most in high school. Um, The anarchy and the ecstasy is also super duper good, so that's my recommendations.
3: Very cool. I will check them out.
1: Love it. I hope you enjoy them tonight. <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> well, friends, I think that wraps us up on Edward Scissor Hands. We will see you next time. And as always, save that last dance for us. Bye.
3: Bye. Bye. Bye.
2: was an old man from the Cape who made himself
1: garments of crepe. When asked, will they tear? He replied
3: here and there, but they keep such a beautiful shape.
2: (laughs) That's right. Go ahead. Smile. It's funny.
1: (laughs) This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.